football is around the corner and we are ramping it up over here on the Ringer NFL feed in the month of August. Every week, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you not one, but two extra point takens. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict, debate, and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday. But that is not all. Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL. And who knows? Maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it. Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ringer NFL. All right, people. Sports boy starting out because Mike took a sip of his little soda pop, so I had to get us going. It is a big, big morning. And uh, it's not because of sports cards. It's because of sports cards lawsuits. That's what we're changing the name of the con- the show to. SCL. SCL, sports cards lawsuits. And uh, we're going to hit it off with a bang because we got a guest who actually knows what he's talking about. Paul Lesko. We had uh, Mojo Sports coming on. We decided to bump that a little bit just because of everything going on in the hobby. The uh, Panini lawsuit obviously was big news. But then if you haven't heard already... The this morning, Fanatics came out with a counter lawsuit, and the details are just so juicy and drama. And I just wanted to say, I'm sure Mike was probably thinking this. Uh, I would assume, if you don't care about all the drama, I apologize. The show's not always about it. We will talk about cards specifically and pricing and all that again very very soon, especially since football season's about to start. But we do have to get into some of this just because it's it's hot. Mike, this is going to be a stay out of the way of Jesse and Paul's discussion day. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I need I'm not you in talk. at some points, though. I don't mind contributing. Okay. I want short, concise questions like I know you're capable of. I'm hoping I, I don't think, even have to ask much. I'm hoping he's just going to take a lot of I've this. I've never heard him talk. So if he's boring, we're cutting him. What's great is his Twitter. If he if he speaks like he does his tweets, we're going to be just fine because he puts like little juicy morsels into individual concise texts that's like, oh, great. Oh, great. Like, it's not like any uh, fluff in there. Good. So No fluff legal nonsense today. That's what we're shooting for. Well, what's great about it is how the, at least the Fanatics contract was written. It sounds like it was like literally someone who has, I don't know, I wouldn't say like a vendetta, but it's like you can tell there's something personal in how this uh, this lawsuit was written up against Panini. Um, we're going to talk about that. Well, it's all Panini employees writing it. Yeah, probably, so, that's actually you know. a fair point. Yeah. Um, there's also... This about, guy has bad breath. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> how did they know that? There's 30 plus pages of your tweets. When I say your, I mean, like, they just went out to Twitter and they just started copying and pasting anybody who said a negative thing about Panini after Panini's lawsuit against Fanatics came out, and they are using that as exhibit one in this lawsuit. So congratulations. Some of you may be famous. Um, But the show isn't all about that, to be fair. We do have new releases we're going to talk about. Uh, We do have some updates on the Blake Martinez slash Blake's break story. Uh, Banned from whatnot. I mean, they made some moves. You can't fault them for that. And then... Uh, a few guys, well, a lot of guys have reached out. I don't know. 
I know there's many who don't care, and I feel like every time I say it, Mike rolls his eyes I'm so excited. hard. Lorcana, I'm pumped. Just a really quick thing about it, but it a is kind of crazy because there was a release. Six rarity. It was <laughs> the sixth rarity. Enchanted. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Stop reading the notes out loud, bro. Don't you dare. So anyways, uh, with all that said, we are about to welcome our guest, Mr. Paul Lesko. All right. So Paul Lesko has officially joined us. I... I have deemed you the hobby's lawyer. I haven't seen that in writing anywhere, but I'm just going to go ahead and start calling you that. Um, you're also the writer of Law of Cards. You are a lawyer. Is that not correct, Paul Lesko? That's correct. I've uh, been a lawyer since uh, 1999, uh, card collector since the 80s, uh, but really jumped back into it in the 2000s and uh, had a background in intellectual property litigation. So uh, since there's a lot of intellectual property uh, with cards, I decided to, that would be what I collect, collect cards involved in lawsuits. But then I also, you know, being a lawyer, I like to write. So I decided to write about every single lawsuit that there is uh, in the industry. And there happens to be a lot. And it's, it's, it's fun to do. You know, uh, maybe we can get a little history too before we get started. But I, I am curious just to to test how much you are into the Did hobby. Did you dress up what? for Paul today? I noticed this button-up shirt, you, by the way. You think this Hawaiian shirt's dressing up for Paul? You usually look like a slouch in here. Yeah, I'm just asking. Did you uh, wear that because you knew there was a lawyer? I am very impressed. I, Thank you. I knew there was a lawyer coming on, and I knew I would eventually What's need legal counsel. Half? And so What are you wearing we on your bottom? I'm wearing shorts. Basketball shorts? I'm just curious. Uh, they're stretchy, like comfortable shorts. What are you wearing, Paul? Are you wearing anything good? Uh, T-shirt and shorts. Woo, baby. All right. All right. right. Now, we know. now we know that. Uh, Caught my attention. What are, what do you collect? Like specifically what, what's in your collection? I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, mainly what I focus on now is cards that are involved in lawsuits. So whenever there's a lawsuit involving cards, I go out and track down uh, the cards, which normally is, it's pretty easy because a lot of times I'm just tracking down counterfeit cards. Uh, but sometimes you get some high dollar value cards that I will probably never uh, get in my uh, get into my uh, collection. I mean, there's that Jordan, or not Jordan. There's that uh, LeBron RPA uh, oh, yeah. out there, and um, you know that's so. If I obey the rules, that's something I'm going to have to get at some point. No, oh, I, I it's well out of my price range. I was going to say, I think like even though that has like so much, uh, uh, I guess, negative new press around it, it's still so expensive, I guess, maybe because there are other guys like yourself. That's that's a that's a nice hobby. It's kind of like uh, how Rob over at Burbank only collects players of like really weird names, even though he's been in the hobby for years. Um, all right. So let's get into this a little bit. The, this is not the first, as you've alluded to, not the first lawsuit in the sports card world. But obviously, this is big news. Is this the first when Panini came out with their lawsuit against Fanatics? Was that the first antitrust lawsuit, or have there been others, to your knowledge? There's been others. Uh, the uh, you know one of the you know seminal ones was Fleer versus Tops way back uh, decades ago, where was that late uh, 80s, Fleer Paul? was challenging. I'm sorry, is that like the late eighties? That is, yeah, that is, okay. that is. So it's 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 been a while. Uh, for that. And so there's been a lot of antitrust lawsuits, not a lot, but there's been multiple antitrust lawsuits. But everything seemed to be well sorted because if you guys uh, uh, collected in the 80s like I did, I mean, there was non-exclusive licenses everywhere. Every, I mean, I have Donruss, Fleer, Tops, I mean, you know, all with uh, team uniforms on. It's only within the last 10 years or so that exclusives have really come back into the fold and limited how many cards you can get or from who you can get uh, cards with uniforms on it. So it's been 20, 30 years since the last stab in an antitrust lawsuit. 
I take that back. Actually, Leaf was involved in an antitrust lawsuit against uh, Upper Deck that's over right. their hockey exclusives. Oh, really? Uh, that was about three years ago, four years ago. But that's so we never really got any uh, finality in that one. How how have they generally played? Like, say the the tops one back in the eighties. How did that end up playing out? Did they were they found guilty of being uh, monopolistic or having those tendencies? It's one of those lawsuits that went back and forth with the FTC saying something and the court saying something else, and it ended up uh, uh, ultimately just settling. But the focus there was that since uh, you know Tops was selling cards with gum in it, uh, that other manufacturers just selling cards by themselves basically was you know was okay. So it was really kind of a punt more than anything else. Okay, so flash forward to today, we see the, or let's say actually, I guess this was Thursday. Thursday of last week, we saw the Panini lawsuit against Fanatics claiming antitrust. You know, they're they're trying to be a monopoly in the hobby. You've now had some time to review the initial documents. What's, what's your take on what you've read and found out so far? So, uh, yeah, starting with just that lawsuit, and that isn't actually the first lawsuit between Panini and Fanatics. Panini actually sued Fanatics in May, alleging that uh, Fanatics was unlawfully uh, stealing their employees. That's right. About 36, 37 employees from Panini ended up going to work for Fanatics. So that lawsuit had been uh, percolating for a little bit. Then this antitrust lawsuit that Panini filed basically says, hey, you know, they've got uh, they've got or will have all the exclusives here. And because of that, there's that's bad for competition. And that's one of the things that needs to be focused on for an antitrust lawsuit. You're not really looking at uh, how does this hurt the other companies? It's does it affect competition? Is it making uh, for collectors? Is it making products cost more? Is it a lessening of quality? Is there some impact with collectors? that having a monopoly on top is bad. Because just having a uh, market power doesn't necessarily mean you're an, uh, an unlawful monopoly. You have to have some bad effect when it comes down to the consumer level. Okay. So with this lawsuit, uh, that's what Nini's alleging, is that when, once Fanatics is in charge and has everything, nobody's going to be able to make anything else, and it's going to be uh, problems for collectors. That's that's basically you know it's an oversimplification of like a fifty page document, but that's sure. Basically it. I, you know what I was really disappointed about it was like going back after reading some of the fanatics one today and seeing there weren't flashy tweet pictures in their lawsuit like <laughs> there was in the fanatics one that really helped to catch my millennial eye. But um, that's okay. We'll we'll deal with. That's why you're here today. You're gonna you dumb it down for us a little bit. That's actually a really good point because uh, I am a, a plaintiff's attorney and I've been filing plaintiff's cases for like the last 15, 16 years. And I always try to do that where you try to make a complaint, put as many pictures or images that you can in there, especially comparisons to show what, what happened here and what happened there. So that, because otherwise a judge or their law clerks, I mean, they're just people. If you see 80 pages of just words, at some point your eyes are gonna glaze over. But if you break that up with images and things like what fanatics did in their filing, it makes you more interested because you see a pretty picture and you're like, huh, what does that mean? And it keeps you reading. So, okay. You know, fanatics, so I really do, like you said, I do like the fanatics filing better because they did a better job of incorporating graphics and everything else. That's funny. Okay. I'm glad to hear that <laughs> uh, that's actually a thing. Um, the Panini lawsuit, if we go back to that for a second. So, do you have any general takes on the arguments made by Panini? Like, do you think this would be able to stand up in court? Because, you know, I noticed that this is a counter lawsuit from Fanatics. It, I didn't see anything about like a, you know, request to dismiss the these 
allegations, you know, right out the gate. So what is your take there? Sure. So the lawsuit that Panini filed, the antitrust lawsuit that Panini filed, that's in Florida. The Fanatics lawsuit that was just filed, that's in New York. And actually, it uh, names Panini's Italian parent company, whereas the other lawsuit is Panini's U.S. company. So there's overlap, but there's not necessarily 100% overlap. Uh, you will likely see in Panini's antitrust lawsuit a motion to dismiss by Fanatics at some point. And that's really what I didn't think we would hear from Fanatics until then for three weeks, four weeks, however long it takes. So, you know, it was pretty surprising uh, to see that Fanatics this quickly is not only filing a lawsuit, but in a lawsuit did a very good job of really just walking through Panini's antitrust complaint and shooting everything down. So I was, I was as, as you know, somebody who geeks out at uh, the law, I was really happy to see that because normally you don't. Normally a defendant in the case says as little as possible, We'll rest on our briefs. We'll let that happen. But, um, you know, Fanatics has taken more of a, hey, let's, you know, get all the information out there so that the public can see what's going on and, you know, let them make their judgments too. So with the fact that we know, like, the lawyer for Panini is associated with, you know, the Al Gore v. Bush case in the early 2000s and, like, many other. The Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft, yeah prominent cases. Uh, do you think like this lawyer is good, competent for Panini and then vice versa? Like who is representing fanatics? Are they, you know, well-known, good for the, I guess, for their position? Sure. And I think, uh, yeah, Panini did get a very good uh, antitrust lawyer and a very good law firm. Uh, my only uh, critique of their choice is I don't think their lawyers are as involved with collecting. Uh, and they made some mistakes in their complaint uh, because of that. There's a, uh, one instance where uh, Panini is talking about the, uh, you know, when you have uh, cards in a non-exclusive or cards when there's an exclusive license and you can't put trademarks on your cards, that uh, you know you you airbrush them out and you have what they call pajama cards and they said pajama cards are not worth that much because you know nobody wants a card without a logo. But Panini has Panini Baseball. Yeah. yeah. And that's all pajama cards. Right. And they also mentioned, you know, one way they can win that antitrust lawsuit is to show that under Fanatics, there will be a lessening of quality. And so they argue that they use uh, their manufacturer and they say that all their cards, when they get to the manufacturer, are in mint condition. And I'm like, no, they're yeah, not. That's what that's <laughs> yeah. So okay. it's, just, it's like, basically, it's like, Panini, are you saying that everyone should be getting mint condition cards? Because, I mean, let's just contact BGS and PSA. And every time we get an eight for one of those cards, send it back to Panini and send us back a nine. And that's what uh, it said. So, okay, so, yeah. so, they have good, so they have good lawyers for Panini, but they don't necessarily know as much about the industry. So they might need to be handheld better. Now, Fanatics lawyers, they got a really good law firm too. They've got a Quinn Emanuel, and that's a law firm that I've litigated against uh, previously. They represented Google in a lawsuit that uh, uh, that I filed, and I loved working with their attorneys. They were, I mean, they were really good. They were really smart. They didn't have any BS arguments on side issues that didn't need to be. I was very impressed by Quinn Emanuel. They've got a very good reputation out there. So, so um, I don't think this is one where one lawyer will dominate the other. I think both lawyers are really good. It's just going to matter which lawyers work the best with the company to not make mistakes about this industry. So how, I guess like for someone ignorant like myself, how does it work from here now that there have been two lawsuits, one filed against the other? 
does it do we process you know panini first if unless it gets dismissed or like do they go uh side by side lawsuits how does that work oh it's it's a mess <laughs> we won't actually know until the parties uh even tell us what they're going to do because often when you have competing lawsuits uh one side wants them all consolidated in front of one judge and typically the same judge but both sides one filed in Florida one filed in New York so one side wants Florida one side wants New York so who's going to see it? They're going to have to fight about it. Maybe they'll just let them both run uh, at you know at the same time, but that's going to be difficult too because if you have two lawsuits at the same time, does the CEO of both companies have to give two depositions? I mean, that's you know just getting a deposition of the CEO of the company. It's difficult to get a schedule cleared for them to sit down for seven to ten hours for that. Do they have to do it twice? Or with the other lawsuit, do they have to do it three times now? <laughs> So what a mess. It's, a, it's a mess. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I wish I could give guidance, but uh, they're going to, you know, well, I'm, I'm eagerly watching to see what they choose to do. All right. So before we get into more of the fanatic side of the lawsuit, I am curious on maybe your more personal take when it comes to the end user, the customer, the collector, what is this? Like, do you think that this is going to ultimately harm them in any way? Like if, if I just say, Hey, I don't care about this. Do you think these companies continue to make cards and everything is business as usual? until there's a ruling in one way or the other, or or is there going to be a delay? So I think the fact that there is the lawsuit that's ongoing, that's not going to uh, affect the uh, consumers as the lawsuits are ongoing. Now, ultimately, if there is a decision, if Panini wins, uh, Fanatic, they're, one of the things they're asking for in the antitrust lawsuit is that Fanatic's disgorged tops or that fanatics, you know, disgorges the manufacturer that they make. So now, when you Panini say disgorges, kind of I know, I know what that word means. But for everybody else, what what does that yeah. mean? Yeah, <laughs> sure. So uh, fanatics bought tops, and fanatics bought uh, a manufacturer. Uh, and so what Panini's asking for is that that sale gets canceled, that tops gets returned back to an independent company, and that the manufacturer that uh, uh, fanatics bought gets returned to be its own independent country. So kind of a reset button to put us back into 2019. That's, that's really what Panini's asking So, for. Paul, if that happens then, Fanatics owns a license with the, the Players Association and the leagues. Would they then have to license it out to Tops if they didn't own Tops anymore? The the judge will really have a lot of say in that. The judge can say, you know what, all those contracts are null and void. Uh, you know, it, it they could even get to the point of saying, hey, uh, exclusives are bad. Let's get rid of all exclusives. There's a lot of stuff that the uh, uh, judge could do here. That's if Panini wins. Now, how big of an if would you say that is? Chances of Panini winning? I think it's uh, probably a little considerably less than 50%, maybe closer to 20%, I would say. And the reason I say that is because the main gist of Panini's argument is, hey, they're an exclusive licensee. They're getting the exclusive license for 10 years for, I think it's 10 years for baseball and 20 years for NFL and NBA. Yep. Well, that's fine and good, but Panini had two exclusive licenses for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's not like Panini's an innocent person here saying that exclusives are bad. They're just saying, hey, an exclusive, either an exclusive over 10 years is somehow bad, but in 10 years is okay, or at least an exclusive is good with us. It's kind of a, it's, it's, it's a weird hypocritical argument. Uh, Panini has time to fine tune that. Maybe they'll get a better argument. But I think right now, just the hypocritical, the seemingly hypocritical position that they're putting forward is easier for a jury to understand 
than what they're putting forward is, and this is a little bit tough and it's probably a little too in the weeds, but in an antitrust analysis, you have to figure out what's the market that you're looking at. You know, and here, Panini is saying that it should be eight different markets. It should be football, baseball, uh, it should be NFL, NBA, MLB, all the players uh, unions, and then also high and low value cards. So they're saying there's eight separate markets. And, you know, I can see, you know, right now, you guys know a, a lot about the hobby. And at this point, you're like, oh, fudge, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't but make sense even to gonna, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how are they going to convince a jury, most likely none of them who are card collectors, to follow them? When Fanatics has a much easier, hey, they did this. They're just mad that we beat them and we're doing it now. So I think just given the ease of the theme that Fanatics has, I think they have a much better chance of uh, winning this case. Okay, and uh, say this does go to trial, like bef- how long would you estimate before you actually got an outcome? Yeah, antitrust cases take a long time. Typically, uh, 18 months is what a complex action takes in court. Uh, antitrust cases get about two years, just right off the bat. Wow, it takes okay. so long, and that doesn't and that doesn't include all the delays or the inevitable appeal, and then after the appeal, it gets sent back. So I think you're looking at quickest resolution if the court has to resolve the case, two years to trial, but then after an appeal and everything else, this could be a four or five year case. That's insane to me. Okay, so let's let's jump to the Fanatics case that just came out this morning that you've had a chance to review. You know, after looking at some of Panini's lawsuit and then looking at the the Fanatics one, I'm, I almost view this as like we talked about how the images help to capture the like make it easier and uh, to read and appreciate what's going on in this case. Also, the way it's worded, it almost like they wanted the public to be able to see this and read it because. To me, reading through the fanatics uh, thing, it seems like, oh, I understand what's happening. They're using like terms and slang and like things that I wouldn't think would be in legalese documents. Maybe that's more common than what I'm uh, actually just expecting. But to me, it just seemed like this is meant for the world to see, not just the lawyers. I think you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, first of all, Quinn Emanuel is an amazing law firm, so they did a you know my no. Hats off to them for uh, drafting a, a very good complaint. It's, it's very story-ish. They do a very good job with an introduction at the beginning where they set the first 15 paragraphs to sum up everything. It's the TLDR of the legal world. <laughs> and, um, and you know, yes, I mean, I think, you know, part of, at least as a plaintiff's attorney, how I draft the complaint, I try to, uh, you know, make it story-wise so that, you know, not only does the judge and the jury, you know, keeps their attention, but then also if it is picked up in the media, they can read it and understand it. So I think this complaint you know, serves two options. Number one, it's certainly a lawsuit against Panini, but then it's also uh, it's you know to get their message out. It's kind of a uh, public relations piece uh, as well. So after you've had a chance to read over it, you know, I, I got a few highlights from this, and I, I guess in my my short viewing of it would be the biggest complaints are, or they're just saying, hey essentially Panini's lying. We aren't doing this. They did all these things first. So there's, uh, goes back to your point earlier, but then it talks about like the, uh, some of the exclusivity deals, uh, that they're trying to do and how I guess Panini has been working on the back end to do everything they can to make this, you know, deal last longer and be a bad deal overall for fanatics. What do you, what's your take on all these different claims that, Fanatics is making against Panini. 
Yeah, I think the easiest way to look at it is there's kind of two claims. Uh, claim uh, number one is that Fanatics was in talks to buy Panini. And it looks like there was an agreement in principle where uh, Panini agreed, hey, you can buy us. But it looks like the price may have not been set. And uh, Fanatics gives uh, a lot of arguments saying that Panini did, was not necessarily negotiating in good faith. They dragged this whole process out, uh, knowing that they weren't going to actually solidify the deal. And because of that, Fanatics says, hey, we thought this was a done deal in July of 2022. Because of that, we would have gotten NBA and NFL licenses earlier. So we put together a release schedule to get our products out in the 2022 time, time frame. But, there, but Fanatics is alleging that Panini didn't want that for you know whatever reasons. They maybe wanted to drive their price up. They wanted you know more money from Fanatics. So you know by Panini dragging their feet and not necessarily engaging in good faith good faith negotiation, that's why Fanatics is saying, "Hey, we spent ten million dollars trying to get through this process. We thought we were going to make two hundred million dollars in 2022, but because of Panini's bad faith efforts." That didn't happen. So that's what they're suing for. The second thing that uh, Panini uh, is being sued for here is just bringing uh, what uh, what Fanatics is saying, a bunch of you know bad faith, well, bad faith lawsuits. Each lawsuit that they're bringing is just extending the process and making things longer, You know, probably just trying to drive up the price. And none of these lawsuits have any merit. Uh, so those are like the two major focuses. But then there's the PR piece that's in here where... Uh, Fanatics goes through and basically explains why Panini's antitrust lawsuit should fail. Because Fanatics is saying, hey, Panini has done everything to diminish the quality of cards, to diminish the uh, consumer interactions that, that, that are there. Whereas Fanatics, what we're doing is the opposite. We want to get less expensive cards to people, higher quality cards to people. We want to have more interactions with the people. So actually, our reign of exclusivity will be better for competition because prices will be lower and quality will be higher. Whereas if you follow what Fanatics has done for the last 10 years with their exclusives, quality has gone down and their ability to have you know uh, interactions with their customers has diminished. Wait, wait, wait. That, with Fanatics Panini. or with Panini? With that, that's the case with Panini. I'm sorry. Did I, did I, uh, I, I uh, mix oh, them up? You know what, that's okay. I just yeah. wanted to clarify. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that was the gist I got. There was one statement made... Um, uh, basically from sources close to Fanatics, they had said this, Panini has been threatening us with this lawsuit for months, using it as leverage to try and make us do a bad deal based on falsified revenue projections. And I've actually since got, gotten updated, what they meant to say is falsified profit projections. Um, when they obviously wouldn't do that bad deal, they filed this lawsuit uh, from last week. At this point, like if they're doing, if they filed a lawsuit based on falsify, or if, if they falsify these projections for profits in these deals, is this like an ultimate end to Panini if they're if they win if Fanatics wins? It, I think, part of it might. I think it's the way that we see Panini right now will drastically change if Fanatics wins across the board. If Fanatics wins all the lawsuits that are out there. You know, Panini will, you know, Panini's effect in the market in the U.S. is going to be very minimal. They'll be down to pajama cards, as they call them. Uh, and that's that's all they're going to have. And, you know, I don't know if you guys uh, collect Panini baseball, but I haven't, you know, bought a Panini baseball product in, you know, years. 
uh, I think Elite Extra Edition 2011 may have been the last time I bought a Panini product in baseball. So, uh, you know, that's where uh, Panini would be relegated. And then at that point, do they just become an international uh, soccer uh, sticker? You know, stick with what they really excel at. Um, so, yes, I think this lawsuit, I think all these lawsuits by Panini are to try to stay alive to try to get more money from Fanatics if Fanatics eventually purchases them. Uh, and ultimately, if they do lose everything, I think Panini uh, in the market is going to be dwindled, if not disappear altogether. So if uh, maybe you know this too, this is maybe more of a business question than a law, but is it, if they buy out, if Fanatics buys out Panini, are they buying, are they buying it from uh, the, it, the Italian-based company or is this their own separate legal entity? They uh, are actually violent. Uh, yes. So the Italian-based company, uh, as according to the complaint, alleges that Panini, the USA Panini is a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, the uh, Italian company. So yes, they are trying to, basically the negotiations were to buy the USA Panini from the Italian Panini. Okay. That so makes more sense. buy Panini America. Yeah, just the Panini company. America. Okay. Because that was, a lot of this, like you pointed out earlier, this is against Panini Italy or whatever their actual name is, because the multiple times in the suit, they say, you know, hey, they sent, they made all this money over these years. And instead of reinvesting it into the company, making better products, customer service, QC, they basically just tried to make their Italian owners richer. And to me, I, I was like, whoa, you know, they're throwing a lot of shade over here. Not, not even worried uh, at all. Uh, that statement though, seemed very bold to me as far as, okay, how does this work if this is an Italian company that they're going after? This now gets into international law. Like, do they come over here? How how do things proceed? Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. So the first thing, since they are suing an international company, you can't just serve them with a process server like you would in a U.S. lawsuit. You actually have to go through the Hague Convention. You have to have the complaint translated into three languages. You Jeez. have to go through a court, a foreign court, to have it served. So it automatically slows things down for about six months. Uh, if that works out, then these lawsuit will proceed in the U.S., uh, likely under U.S. law. Uh, so it, 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 the international aspect shouldn't affect too much of it, except just getting the case to start. Okay. And it, ultimately, what do you think Fanatic's goal is here? Do you think they want to win this, or do you think they just want the Panini to drop the case and sell them, sell themselves over to them, or what would you say? I, it's difficult to tell at this point, uh, you know, with, uh, so right now with Fanatics having taken uh, 37 of Panini's employees, they already have taken a pretty good chunk of the company. But I think Panini's real worth is its intellectual property, uh, trademarks like Prism. They have, uh, you know, a lot of very powerful brands that are there. And the only way they're going to get, the only way Fanatics would get that is by purchasing Panini. So I think uh, Panini's lawsuits are probably to raise their price if Fanatics is eventually going to buy them. And I think Fanatics' lawsuits, if you could think about it, is to say, no, 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 our last offer uh, is probably as high as we're going to go. Now, because of this lawsuit, we're going to lower. Yeah, for sure. It's probably, it's prob even though these are lawsuits and there'll be, you know, both companies will want to win, I think this is another way to view this as just another round of negotiations, you know, not at the table, but important. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, and if anybody's interested, I think you can probably go online and find the case in multiple different areas. Uh, there were a number, a lot of guys were like, well, yeah, but what about my redemptions and stuff like that? There's a number of mentions of that in the fanatics lawsuit against Panini as well. Just, you know, 
the the lack of redemptions basically they're claiming like Panini's lying to their customers by giving out these redemptions and not actually fulfilling them. I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Uh, any other takes you got from all of this after reading through both cases? Yeah, I, I you know the other uh, uh, take that I have is the fact that you know again both sides have acknowledged that Panini was in talks to be purchased by Fanatics, and I think that's one of the things that really dooms Panini's lawsuit because somehow if Fanatics buys Panini, that's good and not antitrust. Yeah. <laughs> but now that Fanatics is by itself, that is antitrust. It's just it's. I think Panini has a very difficult way ahead of it uh, in these cases. If I had to guess, I think Fanatics will win uh, the antitrust cases going back and forth. Uh, but ultimately, I think maybe a year from now, these cases will settle confidentially. Uh, we won't know how they settled, and then we'll either have an announcement that Fanatics buys Panini uh, or Fanatics will just, you know, in 2025 and 2026, get the NBA and NFL licenses and we'll watch Panini disappear. Man. What a crazy time. Um, oh, there was one other thing I was going to ask you. If you you have you may have no opinion or any thought on this, but you may have heard we did a podcast and it was all over the news a few, maybe two months ago or so, uh, Panini's offices in Texas were broken into and they stole, they stole like servers and a lot of data, it sounded like. There's no connection between these two things, is there, or in your opinion? That it, it's funny. It, it makes for the uh, makes for definite speculation uh, because it looks like you had the lawsuits or uh, you had the first round of lawsuits were ongoing between uh, Panini and Fanatics, and this had to do with the 37 employees who left uh, Panini with the Fanatics. So you had all the uh, you know gossip or rumors out there that hey maybe you know some of these employees you know stole something so they went back to delete stuff or maybe panini had bad documents and they had to get rid of their documents uh and i even joked around about that with panini's redemptions being so bad and so behind maybe some pissed off collectors decided hey you know what let's engage in self-help let's break in and get our cards back um ultimately i think the truth is probably less interesting it's probably just you know, just bad, basic criminal activity more than anything else. But it is fun to speculate. And, you know, at least since I really enjoy lawsuits uh, in this industry, I always have my fingers crossed for something ridiculous to happen. <laughs> and that would just be, that would just make my day. Oh, God. I cannot wait for the made for TV movie of the Panini versus Fanatics <laughs> lawsuit. Um, yeah, Netflix, are you listening? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, thank you, Paul. Hey, we really, really do appreciate you coming on, especially. Getting Absolutely. all of that information from such short notice because you just got that other lawsuit this morning. But uh, I definitely, I'd love to have you back in the future. You seem to know how to speak and not be long-winded at the same time. So that's something not all of us can do. So thank you so much for coming on and explaining. No, thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed this. And really, if you have any other questions or need me to try and translate something, I will, I will certainly try. Awesome. Next up, Upper Deck Lorcana lawsuit. All right. Perfect. Book it um, up. All right. Yep. Paul, thank you again, man. Have a great day, okay? okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Have right. a good one. Thank you. All right. So that was Paul Lesko. Uh, honestly, Mike, I know that was not something you were excited to do, but no, overall. I, you got some good info out of him. I, I didn't want to be involved because you know, I like to joke and I wanted to get a clear picture. No, I thought, well, honestly, I do really appreciate how he's able to explain that way better than either of us ever could. And yeah, I could probably do better. I mean, that, that's fair. All right. So this is the interesting point I found in the fanatics lawsuit that I think everyone's going to appreciate when it comes to how autographs work. All right. It says point one Oh nine paragraph one Oh nine Panini's agreements with the NFL and NBA 
and their respective players associations do not foreclose players individually signing exclusive deals for use of their original handwritten autographs. But Fanatics doing so deprives consumers for years of the full range of trading cards that they would otherwise be able to enjoy from Panini and furthers Fanatics' anti-competitive conduct. All right, so that obviously was from the Panini lawsuit against Fanatics. But that does finally kind of answer that question. Like, hey, can you sign if you have an exclusive deal? I mean, from this, it doesn't sound like they're able to. Correct. So that's a valid point. It it makes it, it takes away from the customer experience. Here is my only thing. I I didn't read the majority of these. I I did try to read the cliff notes and look at some of the headings and all that. Again, outsider looking in. Yeah. Company A accuses company B of doing this thing. Yep. That they have been doing for the past nine years with baseball, <laughs> basketball, and football. Yep. So I, off the bat, I'm like, well, how is it okay when you did it, but not when somebody else? That's a little weird to me. The second part is, like Paul just mentioned, well, then we're going to, again, you're such an evil empire. We're going to sell ourselves to you Yep. because the idea is not bad. But when we're not able to be purchased by you, it's a bad idea. There's a lot of, you know, yeah. I, I struggle with a lot of that. And even the things like pricing, I mean— Tops baseball is the most reasonably priced every year across the market, mm-hmm. at least on release. Yeah. Like go look at flawless, go look at prism. I mean, I, so that's why the things like the pricing to the consumer, that's something that's mentioned. It, it was going to get all priced because it's a monopoly. There's no checks and balances. I, you know what? What? Yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I have a feeling we're not going to, I thought this the other day. I didn't think we we're going to have this suit, but I don't think we're going to hear much about this. I think it's going to be a, you know, like a legal game being played. But it sounds like nothing's going to change from the consumer end. I think you have a lot of content made around it, but I don't know if this is going to actually affect anything production-wise for the next couple of years. Ultimately, what would be amazing is if this got settled out of like out of court. Just go ahead. Hey, we filed a lawsuit. You filed a lawsuit. Great. Obviously, now everyone knows where our cards are. But what is this going to help? Like, how is this going to help anybody? At the end of the day, I do think that if they just if Panini sold rights or something. I think that's probably going to be your best bet because I don't see a world where they go back and force fanatics to sell tops, uh, to basically get rid of tops. And now all of a sudden fanatics has to license through tops to be able to sell cards because they've got the agreement. I mean, it just gets so crazy. And then ultimately I asked you this too, like, does this have a negative effect on the, the end user in the hobby? Like, do you think this is, just wrinkling any enjoyment that they ever had in there. I I think so many people have no interest in the noise and good for them. Like we have to, it's our job to report news and different things here. But if I, if we didn't have the podcast, I would have read this headline yesterday. Like, I don't care. Yeah. A a multi-billion dollar company suing another billion dollar company. Make the cards. Let me do breaks. Bye. I think it's almost people view it. I don't don't think it's going to affect almost anything, which is great. I mean, ultimately that's the hope at this point. I don't want there to be anything that, brings less people in the hobby because that's the fear. Yeah, and I just you know? don't know why. Like, can I go buy cards at the store? Can I well, get into breaks? I think with the whole part about exclusivity is where you start getting issues with card making because then it's like, oh, okay, well, if there is going to be a fear that, you know, I can't have an exclusive deal with these people, then what's the point in continuing on like having exclusives, which, okay, I'm good with not having an exclusive, but is Fanatics okay with that? Because they're the ones who signed up all these players. Yeah, but even Panini does that now. Arch Manning signed an exclusive with them. But it almost seemed like that was a reaction to them doing it too. Sure, but even to my point, that's a weird move then. I thought it was bad. Yeah. But then you just did it. 
That's what I mean. I think there's a lot of just a pot calling the kettle black here. Yeah. I think and I just don't, I, I, I know there's a lot of things I don't understand at a high level. The little I do, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, I, I get it too. Try to get your cash on the way out the door, but absolutely. You know, we'll see. I, I don't know. Well, let's drop the lawsuit talk. How about that? <sighs> Thank God. What do you want to talk about before we go into anything else? Mailbag. What's well, the last thing we'll talk about? What's the last uh, thing? Wait, you had a little note on here. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about like the Josh uh, Young injury or anything like he that. Broke he broke his was... thumb last night. Oh, he did? Yeah, fractured it. I don't love that. What about the fight that happened? I thought that's what you were going to talk about. Uh, Jose Ramirez laid out little boy Timmy. <laughs> little Tim Anderson did not. He could not. First of all, hit him right in the button. Guy went down like a sack of potatoes and he had to get helped off the field. Is that the next Tops Now moment? There's no way they do that, right? That they would w- be phenomenal. I mean, Jose is a bad... And here's the thing. Tim dropped the gloves first. Yeah. So... Well, and I think they his manager or somebody put it, posted it up on Instagram of him, like, with boxing gloves or something like that, like, <laughs> on the baseball field. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Um, no, but Josh Young, I mean, right now, he's probably 1-1-A with uh, Yoshida. I mean, I guess Gunnar Henderson's probably sliding into the conversation. I'd be curious the Vegas odds on the AL Rookie of the Year right now. There's a hint for you to look it up. I'm looking. Yeah, look it up real quick. Uh, fractured his thumb. And he saw the special. I mean, obviously, there's no news. This is a weird one because young pricing has been coming up over the season. He's played really well, like 270, 20, 22, 25 home runs. He's having a really good year. Their team is in first in the West, so they're going to the playoffs. I think they're a few games up, too. They're going to make the playoffs. This is a weird little thing where if he's going to be out six to eight weeks, but he's back for the playoffs, mm-hmm. I think it's actually a pretty good buying opportunity for Josh Young. Buy him on the dip with his injury and then see what happens when he comes back in the playoffs. So AL Rookie of the Year odds right now, it's looking like negative is the one it's that a you're looking at, right? So yeah. who's, who's number one, Yoshida? So it looks like it's Henderson followed closely by Yoshida. So what are the numbers? What's so depending on who you're going, like, let's say FanDuel, because that's the we'll one with, FanDuel. yeah. So FanDuel says uh, negative 210, Yoshida is plus 230, but he is oh, next in close. line. that's pretty close. Where's Young on that? Uh, he is fourth in line on that list, plus 2,700. Who's third? Uh, Tristan Casas. Oh, that's that's funny. Casas has come back, huh? Yeah. Sheesh, a couple of Red Sox. All right. So, yeah, but, but Young Henderson and Yoshida are basically, yeah, neck right next neck. to each other. Yeah. Everybody else is a little further back. So, and, and, and the difference there, too, is two of those guys probably not making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think the Sox at this point are going to, but anyways, that was just an interesting little note. So. Is there any question on the NL Rookie of the Year? No, Corbin Carroll. Okay. What, what is he, like a negative 1,200? Negative 3,000. Yeah, not even close. The, That's like the AL MVP odds. Yeah. Did you have that on there? AL MVP. Because Otani the other day was like minus 1,800 or something. That guy could not play another game this year. He's winning the AL MVP. I don't have it on this one. Yeah, but it NL's is funny. the same thing. Acuna's running away with How him. close or how far away the second place Who's, is on NL? Hang on, hang, hang on. Don't say another word. Do you want to know the number? I'll give you the number. Plus Shut your mouth. 2,200. Is it Francisco Alvarez? No. Is he in the top five? Yes. He's what? four. He's four. Yep. He's he's plus 4,500. NL rookies. Oh, God. Hang on here. Corbin is negative 3,000 for the people we're not playing at home. On. By the way, get for used to awkward silence because we're not moving home. on until I get two and three. Oh, I'm surprised you don't already have a, a good guess for one of these. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed number two because I don't, the name's not ringing a bell. It will for you, I'm sure. But number three, for sure. <sighs> I want to stab you. They're both on the same team. Does that help you? Number two and three. This is embarrassing. Number two and three. <laughs> and I can't ask you. And I can't ask you other questions because you're not going to know. Like, what division are they in? What state do they play? I in? gave you NL. Just live with that. 
Uh, they're going, their state is in the same state. Oh, wait, as wait, the wait. Na- Michael Harris. No. <laughs> That's true. It was last year. The national next year. Cleveland. Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Who the heck's playing for? Oh, uh, not Ellie. Number three. Really? Yeah. I didn't know he played enough to be up there. And then number two also plays for them. Yep. Come on, baby. Matt McLean? There it is. Interesting. Nailed it. Got it without any hints. That's impressive. I did. You didn't help yep. me at all. I know. Idiot. It was good. <laughs> uh, so Corbin Carroll is obviously front runner. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a battle to the death for Yoshida and Henderson. Um, at this point, like investable, investableness, is that a thing? Like, do you Not go in the real after, world, but go ahead. Like in, in the card world though, are we going after either of these guys? I mean, Corbin obviously has already been, his pricing has been crazy. I just wonder you know if it's though? too high. Here's the thing. It's, it's been crazy. The only issue I have with Corbin is that team six and a half, excuse me, is a game and a half out of the playoff, out of the wild card right now. They're playing right at 500, oh. but there's five, six teams ahead of them. Okay. His pricing, though, is still just about on par with, like, Anthony Volpe. He should be crushing Volpe pricing. Same with Yoshida, by the way. Yoshida stuff, I'm talking for rookie, not prospect. Sure. I don't know their prospect stuff. Yoshida, same thing. This guy should be shattering his pricing. I think a lot of it's because he plays in Arizona. But really? that does make it tough then. So what does he have to do to really take off, even more so than he has? I, I don't know that you can buy him right now. Okay. Unless all of a sudden they go on a real, a real winning streak and you think, hey— there's going to be some October moments with this kid. Otherwise, no. That's why I like like the Josh Young thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, granted, he's not winning Rookie of the Year, but he's he's going to continue to fall in price as he misses whatever weeks, a month, whatever it might be. Is he, if he's going to be back for the playoffs, I think that's something I'd look at. Same thing with the Red Sox, though. Like the next two weeks are pretty. You play like 110, 115 games now. Yeah. If they can get hot and go on a win streak, the problem is in the AL. It's ridiculous. They're three games above 500. They're five games out of the second play-in game. Five, wait, five games out? Out of the wild card. Because that division Jeez. is, uh, they're last in their yeah, division. Rays, they're above Orioles. 500. It's ridiculous. Yeah. If, if though, at some point you start seeing them climb and somebody else drops and, hey, they're going to be a lock for the playoffs, mm-hmm. that's different. And you got two guys who are playing really, really well who have way, especially Casas. His stuff came down so hard. Yoshida is expensive. He's more of a risk. So, I, yeah. I don't know. You got to see what happens. You got to wait and see who's going, who does it look like is going to make the playoffs? That would be the biggest thing for me. Do you ever think about this? Like, you know, as someone who's been watching baseball all your life, you probably don't even think twice about it, but from an outsider looking in, I think the fact that there are teams that are, like you just said, the Red Sox, they're above 500 and they're still five games out of the wild card, but you're going to have teams that are, you know, not even above 500 like the Guardians and AL Central. Yeah, whoever wins the Central. Right now it's the Twins, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's very close to, to obviously, you're losing out on the better teams just because of the division they're in. Sure. Does that seem, I don't know. Sometimes I just I know. wonder every, if that's fair. It happens every year. It happens in the I NFL, know. too. Division winners get in, other people don't, so. Yeah, yep. okay. Um, all right, so I did want to update a couple things. By the and way, we can talk about let, the, me, let me do, I did look please. up the odds. Otani right now. Oh, is this MVP odds? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what site this is on. Some ridiculous site. Let me let me find a better site. Okay. Did you go on FanDuel? Is that where you got yours? No, I just Googled it and it pulled up. There's a few reports that pull up from different sites like FanDuel and other ones. So I mean, Otani has like the most lopsided odds I've ever seen. Oh, really? It's been $50 trillion to win a buck with this guy. <laughs> so 
This is on, I don't know what site this is. Oh, this is on FanDuel as well. He's minus 750. Next guy is plus 1,700. Plus 1,700. It's Corey Seager, by the, the way. Corbin what a Carroll weird difference. Uh, and then in the NL, which just kind of caught me, this is a little closer than I thought because Mookie's been on a tear. Acuna is minus 330. Mookie is plus 600. Okay. So there's the actually- The only reason I even bring this up, the MVP buyback, with Chap- which happened, started with Chrome. It's yeah. going to happen with the rest of the, there's five, six other Chrome skews the rest of the year. You got to keep, now you actually have to pay attention to who's going to an MVP because your base cards are 20 bucks. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. So I didn't something think about happened that. where Mookie catches Acuna. Yeah. I mean, you can buy those base cards for 10 cents right now. Cash them in for 20 bucks. I don't know. Could be worth it. AL, though, it's, I mean, it's not happening. It's actually not a bad idea. Um, all right. Uh, there is news about the Blake Martinez. Uh, obviously, if you're not familiar, we talked about this on last episode and the episode before, and now it's making like the New York Post picked up the story yesterday. Um, he is, we found out, part owner of whatnot, and an he's been an investor. Yeah. yeah, we'll say that. He has owned and operated Blake's Breaks for over the last year, selling Pokemon cards, and now he has officially been, it looks like, banned from whatnot. Oh, I was going to ask you, since I don't have an iPhone and the app is not on Android yet, hint, hint, Fanatics Live. Can you go on Fanatics Live and see if they have an account on there, Blake's Breaks? Because that's the one thing I haven't heard anything about. Since they made their announcement two weeks ago. Yeah, since Whatnot made, well, since Whatnot made the announcement of banning them, I was just curious if they've gone ahead and followed suit as well. Because Blake's Breaks, social media has just gone uh, silent. They're not saying anything. I told you I was going to, by the way, you know what, actually, hang on a second here. Oh, you're finding some? Um, I do see Blake's Breaks. No followers, no picture, no nothing. Uh, I did get his agent's number. I'm going to text the agent right now. Okay. Go, yeah, please. Go ahead. Um, yeah, get him on the pod. He didn't respond on social media, but going through an agent, who knows? Uh, so that has been a big story. I think that at this point, this is kind of like the biggest Pokemon scam story that we've probably heard in, I don't know, maybe the history of Pokemon cards. Um, well, I guess since... Logan Paul and his whole card fiasco getting the G.I. Joe ones. But um, definitely the biggest breaking scam uh, we've heard. This, I wonder how it affects the market as a as a whole. I wonder if it brings more eyes to Pokemon. Who knows? But uh, yeah, that, that was a good story. I'm glad that Whatnot did what they needed to do. It, last time, I think there was tons of people, right, that who, who said, hey, this is a scam on different breaks. You know, when we d- report about Bleacher, and yet Bleacher was back breaking again the difference here i think is because of notoriety so i wonder does this happen for just joe schmo scammer who does the say they did the exact same thing but they're not uh someone famous a former football player would they have gone back and said the same thing because they already made one claim saying they didn't see anything wrong so here's the problem though so much more has come out you had this second pack scandal where the things were not sealed. Yeah. Then you had that, whatever, that memorandum he was sending around about, hey, we don't talk about it, yeah. alluding to he knew stuff was going on. The person he said was getting fired didn't get fired. And then I told you this was going to happen. People are so stupid in 2023, it irritates me. I don't understand it. Everybody's thing is like, hey, let's just put our head in the sand and pretend it's not going to happen and it'll blow over. Why don't you just come out and speak about it? Well, Honestly, because they've seen it work sometimes. That's true. I, I mean, that's the problem. I they've know. seen that it works. If I if I say absolutely nothing, no one will see me. They'll forget about me. The next headline will come up, and it's gone. Because, I mean, honestly, with the card world being set on fire with two lawsuits from the main card manufacturers, this is almost the perfect time 
to have devastating, you know, scam news about yourself. I'm shocked they did anything, by the way. I kind of and I, I have actually heard off the record that there's no chance he's going to Fanatics Live either. I couldn't imagine. Well, I, I hope so. Yeah, couldn't. I couldn't imagine. Um, My question is, does he make other channels on whatnot? How does that work? Yeah. But I mean, hopefully you don't. Good good for them. Like I said, I, I take enough shots at whatnot, but good on you for like cracking down on this guy. Uh, the other TCG update is just the Lorcana thing. And oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I did, I'm saying I'm it super fast. Uh, take your time. It comes out August 18th still. I've been pumping it because I actually am into it. I think it's, it looks like a lot of fun. But the reason I'm talking about it now is because Gen Con, which if you didn't know about this, apparently there's a huge card convention every year. And apparently this year it was right after the national, uh, just like one state over. I think it was over in, uh, oh, where was it? I think it was in, in, in Indiana, but they had 70,000 people at this thing. The line to get to Lorcana, because they had a special pre-release there, was some people said 16 hours long. Even though I saw, I did see a, a YouTube where it was like, yeah, we were in line for hours and they were just like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. And then they came back hour, or like the day later or something. And then they were able to jump right very close to the front. So I guess if you had to be first day to get it, then yeah, it was long. But after that, it wasn't too bad. But still, people, people are, are going out online and immediately turning this into a huge profit because... I know like Best Buy, they're listing this like a booster box at 140 something bucks right now. Granted, it still says like coming soon. It's it's sold out until they, this is what has happened. Uh, last week, what was happening is they'll list like a few boxes for sale. It'll immediately get snatched up and then it'll just say coming soon again. And then like an hour, 30 minutes later, they'll list a few boxes and they'll sell out immediately and they'll say coming soon. So people took whatever, if they bought them for 150 of the show, Flipping them on eBay for like $400, $350 to $400 right then and there. And when this released, everyone's talking about like the rarity of cards. Because, you know, if you're not even a game player, you're just a collector or you're an investor, you want to know like what the rare stuff is. They did finally announce there is like an additional rare card in there. And that card, like, I mean, prices have come down. But when it first got found and started selling... We're talking five thousand dollars raw card, five thousand, like forty five hundred, four, three thousand, three thousand. It's just, it's absolutely insane. Um, I cannot imagine that is any kind of good investment, like to go out and buy that card. I would not recommend anybody to do that. But those are obviously the cards you're going to be looking for. There's twelve different ones. Um, I'm not going to spend time going over each of them right here, but. It is something very interesting. I think it's still a good investment. Um, that's it. I'll stop there. Okay. New releases. Sure. Uh, we have two sport, two non-sport. Let's hit the sport first. Uh, you want to do baseball or football? Football 2022 Panini National Treasures Football Hobby Box. What would you like to talk about? What are your thoughts? Well... I've checked out of this thing. Holy smokes. God. What is the, uh, give me the price. You're not a fake it till you make it kind of guy, grand? are you? No, it's nonsense. No. Um, 10 grand a case. Actually, I'm, tr oh, a case. I just have an individual but box. What's the box? Because they're four uh, box cases. It looks like most people are selling them at 3,000. So 12,000 a case. I'd be curious what the last couple of years are. Uh, Brock Purdy RPA is going to be massive because he has almost no, actually, I wonder if he has any patch autos. I'm pulling up to see. Previous years. If you want to check 
patch autos. Yeah, I'm curious if Brock has it. I know he has a bunch of autos, obviously. I don't know what he's got for patch autos. So the fact that this is 2022. Yep. So Purdy, Pickett, all those guys. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, he's got a bunch. Oh, so he has redemptions. Yeah. He, I mean, it's NT, right? Like the RPA is going to go for massive, massive money, especially early on. Um, you got to find a way to break this selectively, though. I think Eddie's doing a full case PYT, which I'm kind of shocked about. So it's $12,000 a case. Mm -hmm. 2021 was is going for $20,000 a case. Okay, I do like that. That's way cheaper. Yeah, I was going to say it's 2020, though. Why 30? is 2020? Oh, I'm looking at a box. That's why. Oh, okay. I was okay. going to say, like, 2020 is going to be crazy. <laughs> uh, they don't have a case listed. It's just individual boxes. The Eight box grand? goes for 10 grand. Yeah. Yeah. And borrow and Herbert stuff, six figures for the right stuff. Yeah. I mean, again, pick your spots. If you're a football guy and if you like to chase super high-end stuff, obviously this is the product for you. NT is the premier football product of the year. NTRPAs are the, are the, you know, the white whale for most people. So okay. yeah, to me, I don't have a rooting interest enough in football to chase anybody. And I haven't seen the checklist yet. All the rookies are in it. I don't know if Brady has like Bucks stuff. This is a product though. If Brady had patches and autos for the Bucks, I'd go out and buy the Bucks. Like stuff like that, I think is fun to chase. But yeah, if you're looking to get into weird, you know, super expensive, really chase heavy products, it doesn't get much more high risk, high reward than NT. Um, by the way, I was just looking. The 2022 Penny Prism boxes are back up to a thousand dollars a box on blowout. I, at least. I don't get it. I think it's I'm a good product. You, I, think, like, I don't know why. Into, I think they're into the the picket and the purdy and I guess. But Ritter and Howell? That's what I mean. I don't get it. Well, people still, I don't think Malik's going for a lot, but like oh. there's a, there is still a little bit of chase just because of the rookie factor in it. Um, I guess. I, I don't understand the 2020, uh, the, the 2022 chase. I, I really yeah. mystifies me. Yeah. People are in still for whatever reason. Um, all right. I guess. Baseball? Of course. Let's go. All right. So Tom Brady has a base card. Hang on for one second. Oh, now I'm does. curious. He's got base, which would be all the numbered parallels as well. What else do you have? That's in a Bucks uniform. Maybe I will buy the Bucks. I'll just tell Eddie I'm paying for him. It's not paying for him. <laughs> that's smart. He's got material. So he's, oh, that's for the Patriots though. He's got jerseys for the patties. Oh, speaking of Eddie. What? Can, can you text him and see if he got any of the pop century in yet? Because that's the next thing we're going to talk about after baseball. Can't wait. Uh, treasure chest, which I hate. There's 57,000 players on a book. I'll Brady has modern masters. I don't know what that is. It's just an insert, I guess, for the Pats. Oh, he's like all Patriots in this. Okay. Super Bowl immortality set checklist. And he does have some. Oh, he does have some buck stuff here now, too. So Am I buying the Bucks? Right, Here's the problem. I'm not buying the Patriots because you pay for Bailey Zappi, which I don't care about. So at this point, you're maybe buying Bucks? The, maybe I'll buy the Bucks cheap. There it is. It's official. All right. Um, Mike's back into football as of this moment. 2022 Tops Chrome Platinum Anniversary Baseball. This is 22. Huge distinction. This product has been pushed six months now. Oh, dude, are you kidding me? Eddie already posted this thing. Did Tampa Bay get sold? Because I'll stab somebody. God. No, they didn't. All right. The PYT is up in the Facebook group. SCN how, much, how much does it cost for the Bucks? Bucks are 200 are you are you going in? I'm gonna negotiate him down. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you worry about that, Eddie boy. Somebody bought the Steelers for eleven fifty and the Niners for ten fifty. Are the Packers still there? Wouldn't you like to know? Are you buying the Packers? Doubt about it. They are six thirty five. Have fun. Because I mean, what if he goes off this year, like over with the Jets? You know, what if Rogers? Oh, <laughs> who are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, twenty twenty two, platinum. What is it actually called? Platinum anniversary? Platinum chrome anniversary? 
Topps Chrome Platinum Anniversary. There you go. Um, the timing is weird. We're five months. I mean, we, we've had 23 product out Multiple since products. March. Yep. Uh, the nice thing about it, though, I think it's a, it's good timing for it. I'm going to forget one or two, but the checklist is loaded with like rookies. You got J Rod, Wander, Witt, Torkelson, O'Neill, Cruz, uh, Spencer Strider, Suzuki for the Cubs. Like I said, I'm missing at least one or two guys there. Probably some pretty good ones. And it's isn't it a cheap product? What's a case like? Twelve hundred bucks? Thousand bucks? You know, I go box, bro. Um, box. It's a twelve box case. It is hundred and ten dollars. It is for a case. Does not have the price. So whatever that would be, but times twelve. Okay, so twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, I, I think it's good timing for it as well too. Kind of a mix up with the year we've seen. The other cool thing about it too is actually I like some of the uh, the teams that are good there that are not good this year. This is strictly selfish from a breaker standpoint. Like you could do combo stuff now. Put this with the tops Chrome because you got a bunch of teams that were good last year that are not good this year. So it kind of mixes it up. So, um, oh, I just realized I texted Eddie. Uh, from The Ringer, not Eddie Mancini, the breaker on SCN Breaks about if, Pop Century. I so. if Eddie from The Ringer has any cases. Uh, yeah, we're going to find out uh, because we're going to talk about that next. Pop Century. Wait, did you, were you, how heavy of a buy are you on that? I like That's one I really like as PYTs, full case PYTs. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, and personals, they're cheap. They also make a SKU called Anniversary Chrome Anniversary Light. That's cheap as well. So Okay, very cool. Um, at this point, Pop Century is exciting just because it's got a number of new autographs in there, a new signers, I should say. Um, you got Chris Pratt, you've got Macaulay Culkin, uh, people, Clint Eastwood is signing on this. He does not sign really? very often. Yeah. Um, Lil Baby, people are excited about his autos. Isn't Clint Eastwood, like 4,000 years old. Joe Pesci's in here, bro. Uh, I, I know you're about some. that life. And then you got, yeah, Tiffany Haddish, a few others. Who's Tiffany Haddish? Uh, she's a comedian. I'm trying to think of what you might know her from. You'd probably know if you saw her. Uh, I don't know if these guys have signed before, but they're listed on here as ba- being new as well. Andrew Garfield, Elizabeth Olsen, Jessica Alba, Selma Hayek, Selma, Samuel L. Jackson. These are some of the names. It's going for $240 a box. That's what it, I mean. Is that normal? That's normal. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what it was last year. I think that's what it was the year before. I only see one pack pulled Clint Eastwood Auto ever from 2012 Leaf Cut Signatures. Yeah. Not, it was just like a crappy cut of a signature, not like an actual card. It sold back in 2012 for 350 bucks. In 2012. I bet Clint Eastwood's a massive pull. That's what I'm thinking too. So that's why I he's going to be dead soon. He's like 300 years old. <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to go there, but. I don't mind. Um, so obviously this is something that I actually personally am going to rip on SCN breaks and or sports cards nonsense as soon as I find out if Eddie's going to be able to send any out here because we talked about it at the National. Did you text uh, hopefully, him? You want me to do it? I texted him just now. Okay. Um, that would be a lot of fun. I think uh, there's a lot of guys who'd be into that. The other product that's coming out, and this is just a quick thing, but it is the next Pokemon product. It's At this point, this is the most popular one of the new set, the Scarlet and Violet one. If you know nothing of the, the game at all, that's fine. All you need to know is this is got at, at least some of the original characters like Charizard has some cards in here, which he hasn't had in the last couple sets. So um, those are the ones that are going to sell typically a little better. Um, I, they It is a little bit pricier than what the other uh, boxes are going for from the Scarlet and Violet set. But I think I mentioned this last time, uh, the guy who I buy from Kevin over at rounding up TCG, he still, he said he'll still do the deal where if you go to rounding up TCG.com, you subscribe at the bottom of the page. He'll send you out a 15% uh, discount code. And he's got all this stuff for pre-order. So if you want Obsidian Flames, the product that comes out this week, you can get 15% off from his site. So Can't wait. not a bad deal. Um, boom, bam. I think that brings us over to Mailbag. 
Mailbag. Uh, yeah, mailbag. First question up. You've comes never from, talked this much in an episode. Oh, I have. I had an. I've had multiple episodes where you weren't here, so I had to do it. No. No. Still not nope. even then. No. No. Nope. Uh, James Zacadini says. What should we consider the Bowman cards released for players that are after their first, but still not their rookie card, shield card? Oh, just there's just second prospect cards. Just second prospect. Yes, yeah, so like J Rod's prospect was 2020, but in 2021 he still had Chrome cards that didn't say rookie because it wasn't in the league yet. So okay. it's just a second prospect card. Um, I'm curious what you think about this question. Rick Tiffenbach says. Are card prices artificially inflated because of the hurdles to sell a card? This keeps the supply side low while demand can ramp up in real time. I didn't know there were that many hurdles to sell a card, but maybe there... I don't really think there are anymore, honestly. I guess, like, if you're considering hurdles like fees and stuff like that from eBay, because that would be the only hurdle of... Otherwise, you just go out and sell your card on eBay, right? I mean, if you're... There's fees every... Yeah, I don't know. I don't really think that's a... At least I didn't think that was a thing, but you never know. Go to a card show if you really want to sell one without a fee. That's honestly probably. I mean, go to a card show, but if you want to sell with a fee, so what? Sell with the fee and just you know sell it for more on a bigger platform, pay the fee, probably come out even. Uh, Jeremy Byers, he had a question about Leaf Pop Century. Uh, Jeremy, see new release section of this podcast. Uh, Next question up from Steve Schisler. He says, "Would love to hear Mike's take on the recent trend where pricing raw pricing is inching closer and sometimes over." the price of PSA 9s. It used to be you could get raw cards at or below PSA 8s, which gave you a little bit of room to buy raw and grade to flip. That's getting harder to do now. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like on brand new stuff, a lot of brand new stuff that's not prospect. Because like the prospect market's still strong where a 9 gets you decent value. But I don't know many guys who are paying much more for a refractor top's finest Corbin Carroll as they are compared to a Corbin Carroll raw. Because they're just thinking, hey, I can just get it and sub it myself and get a 10. And yeah. there's a four-time multiplier. So with new stuff, it's definitely some new stuff. There's definitely that inefficiency. But this is one of those subjects, too. It ebbs and flows. Every few months, it's like, man, a 9 is 2x a raw. This is insane. And then other times, like, man, raw is exactly the same as a 9. It really is one of the most fluid areas in the card market. Um, I don't know. I don't have much to say because I don't really know what spurs that on. I, I know people get excited when they see a crazy multiplier for a 10 mm-hmm. and that will make raw pricing go way up because there's that chase. Sure. But it's not on that. I would assume that's not every card. Like there are going to be still some cards that PSA 9 is still going to out- outsell the raw. I mean, in general, I think a PSA 9 still outsells a raw yeah. for the most part. Okay. Uh, will Winters wants to know, who do you think you are and what gives you the right? Who said that to who? Uh, I it was Michael Scott saying it to Toby. There you go. Eric Wiesenforth. Jesse, I want to know who you think has better rants, Mike Geo or Gary V. I'm gonna tell you. Because I'm not as corporate as Gary. <laughs> he made that claim first. Um Eric, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. I do think it is Michael, and it's mainly because I have very sensitive ears, and all the little coy swords hoit my little baby eels. And Mike doesn't use those, so that, that's why I like it. I like to- <laughs> The next guy. Steven. Okay. Oh, wait. Is this yep. the one that we're going to ask? I I didn't like it, so I don't know if I am. What scrutiny did the FedEx purchase of tops go under? What protections should collectors expect? And how can they uh, advocate for those protections? I, I don't take a guess. I mean, literally, there's no, we have no information. I don't know. Steven Medawar. Yeah. Sorry, bro. We talked about it early, Steve. I mean, there's just not, there's so much of stuff that's in the limbo with the whole 
you know, this, this lawsuit, we'll see. Maybe it gets called into question. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, let's see. Mike Maleski says, enjoyed your episodes on the national question. It's been almost two weeks since Topps Chrome release. What are your thoughts on the product? It feels like this fewer autos, yep, which correct. is true because Jumbo went from five down to three and Hobby went from two down to one, yep. which he feels is better. Um, it's less is more in this case, he says, because he's not getting autos from 29-year-old <laughs> relief pitchers, it, which is a very good point. This is absolutely the case. Yeah, this year's Topps Chrome has been phenomenal. I still think Finest is a little bit better. Topps Chrome is a phenomenal product this year. I mean, uh, the QC has been spot on. The MVP buyback throws in a little bit more of an incentive to buy it. And the list, like the, the auto checklist is just better. It just is. You got some breakers delight of that product, right? It's been good too, but man, that stuff's expensive. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. Um, You're talking like 400 plus a box for that now. I think I saw like one of the Blez brothers saying how he was doing everything in his power to buy it. He thought it was going to be worth $700 a box by like November or something like that. Well, that's called a pump and dump. <laughs> I mean, it did feel a little bit like that, but I don't know. Um, I'm not saying he is, just saying. Jason Schoenbacher says, not really a question, but I hope you fellas can get Grand Slam collectibles on the podcast sometime to talk about their amazing Good Samaritan Act last week. Oh, He paid some ladies rent. Oh, he did? Yeah, for like five months. It was on the Dave Ramsey show, and Nate put out a big bounty. Like, hey, find this lady. We'll pay her rent. She's in the middle Tennessee area. No way. Yeah, he posted about it. It's actually pretty awesome. Yep. Uh, okay, so if you're not already subbing your cards through them, go ahead. Grand Slam Collectible. If you go to sportscardsnonsense.com, the links to both their website and to get the form to do bulk subs through SGC. Um, they're our guy. They're, he's our go-to guy for multiple reasons, but there you go. That's one of the big ones right yeah, there. Yeah, great shop too. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Don Getters. Do you feel like it's a little disingenuous for Panini to advertise a certain amount of autographs and hobby products and then have instances where one or even two of those hits turn out to be reward points for nearly half the boxes in a case? It's miserable, right? I think that's a, a, a being over. And I like Don. I, I think that's overstated quite a bit. I've never seen an example of it being half. But he did cite two specifically, Chronicles, Dra Chronicles Draft Football and Score Football. I haven't touched those. Maybe they're ex like extremely point-heavy. Uh, it's irritating. Even when the points, to his credit, like he said, hey, sometimes the points are worth more than a $5 auto. I do still, it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you open a box and gets points. And it's, it's miserable. No question. If you find that to be the case or not the case, uh, reach out. Let us know. I'd be curious. Um, Mike Pulsifer says, is the green monster really a monster when a guy's first at bat out of the minors is over over it and his second homer clears it completely and takes out a few pedestrians. Do you know who he's talking about? Who who did this? Who do this at the this is Fenway, right? They've got the green monster. Uh yeah, b -b 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 I guess. Was this David Schneider? The Schneider? Davis Schneider made an incredible first impression on Blue Jays fans. The Toronto rookie in his first MLB at bat. Uh, one to remember the 24-year-old slug, the solo home run over Fenway Park's Green Monster in the second inning of Friday's game. Interesting. All right. Okay. I don't know if we're taking shots at you know, what we're talking about the wall for, but <laughs> sure. Hey, that wall has feelings too, bro. Chris Haynes says, slab storage, question mark? Do you keep them in a box hidden away or display them for the world to see? Or is that a mix? A little bit of both, yeah. We got, I have Zion case I keep a lot of the stuff in, but I have displays at the house. I have displays here at the office. If you ever see us on YouTube, you may, uh, may oh, be Duxbury. out in the corners. Yeah, yeah Duxbury is a big, uh, big fan of ours, or we're a big fan of theirs, I should say. They made some really cool holders, and they continue to make some. Uh, Slabstrong makes stuff. Uh, show your slabs. They do some other stuff. 
Yeah. That, that's the things that we've used in the past. Um, I, I still think there's a, a lot of room for innovation in that space as far as like showing off your slabs. I think there'd be some really cool ideas coming. Uh, let's see. Maybe our last two questions. AJ Hand says, all Fanatics has to do is get buyers who have been in redemption limbo for years to prove Panini is a scam. Yeah, okay. That's more of a personal opinion, but that's fine. Not a question. Hayes Chandler Hudson. This past weekend at my LCS, all Topps products was separated from all the other product. They said it was a new rule from Topps that their product couldn't be mixed with other companies. This is made up. Know anything about this? What's the point of this? Well, from their I, standpoint, I think. I, I mean, you have I people... thought there was a thing. I thought there was a thing that said like the Topps product had to be in a certain area for the LCS. Oh, really? I thought that was in the agreement. Like when know. we went over those rules, I could have sworn I had read that. Granted, this is the first time I've heard There's someone actually say that. There's been a lot of amendments to that thing, too. So I, I think your LCS is probably going a little far with that. But, I, I mean, maybe that's how they're rolling. That's one of my questions. Like, if you just walked into one of these stores, like, is anyone actually going to say anything if they're if you're with Tops? I, I kind of doubt that. But, again, I think to our point when we first talk about some of the local card shop rules, I think they're more there in case they ever had to enforce it. Not that they're actively enforcing it. So I agree with that. Um. I have not heard back from... Oh, I did hear from Eddie. He says, I still haven't heard final numbers from our Peach State rep. I'll definitely keep you posted as soon as I find out. Hopefully, we will find out about Pop Century very soon. Um, other than that, that's your show. A lot of legalities mentioned. Hopefully, you guys found that as interesting as uh, we did. Well, I did. Mike semi did. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought it would be a better interview if you and him had a discussion. No, no. I, pre- I well, stayed out of it. Hey, you know what? I'm glad there's a mutual gonna... respect because I try and when you get to go in like with uh, just baseball, uh, Aram, you guys, I can't even, I don't even want to enter that conversation. So Which I, is I great. Totally Neither one of us. Want no, to yeah, you don't want me there either. So. I was only going to jump in if you started just puking up questions that had 3,000 words. I tried to keep very short. There was no vomit from you today. No. Oh, well, thank you. Happy for you. I'll save that for later. I got a big night of break on the app tonight. Card sh- I'm pumped. I'm, by the way, I'm plugging the app every time. Do we're, it. Yeah, we're struggling for revenue. We're str- we need more sellers. We need more buyers. We need breakers with followings to come on. If you have a big following, by the way, we are to the point now, we are literally going to offer equity. Come on over, bring people, hit some decent sales numbers. We will. I will cut you equity out of my own pocket. That is not an exaggeration. Oh, hello. Anyways, Card Shop Live app. I have a bunch of breaks posting today starting about four o'clock, I think. Three or four. We're doing some Topps Chrome, Bowman's Best. We get some... Uh, a football mix, a bunch of stuff. My card shop name on there is Sports Cards Nonsense, which happens to be the name of this podcast. No, so shut up. There you go. If you want to sell on there, reach out to me, uh, especially if you have following, like I said, and we'll uh, go get you on. Okay. Beautiful. If There's you come on and do good numbers, Jesse will be your best friend. Uh, I've got, I don't have like a lot of room for best Sports friends. Sports Cards Nonsense brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, powered by Spotify. We'll be back on Thursday and goodbye. Oh, hit the button. That was way too fast. Put your fat fingers. I was down. not right. What did you just say? Get the jimmies on the board. <laughs>